Let's take our Bibles and go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. I want to look at verses 1 through 5 together. Our Lord is giving us some relevant information, instruction, rather, here on how we are to live in Christ, walking toward our brethren. And Paul, in these verses, is specifically dealing with our attitude. Our attitude, first and foremost, of how we dwell with brethren, how we help brethren who have been overtaken in a fault, and how we are to love them and walk toward them in Christ. And we do so recognizing our own infirmities and our own weaknesses. So, to begin, let us be reminded of the grace of our God that we are ever dependent dependent on. Every, we, we, we bear the fruit of the Spirit, and it's not by our doing. It's not by our focusing on bearing fruit. It's looking to the Lord. It's staying upon Christ. It's looking to him in faith, and he bears the fruit in his people. It's not an exercise that we do. It's something he does in us under the umbrella of the, the blessings of grace and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord said in John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, he was speaking to the woman at the well, and he said, The hour's coming, and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He's telling us the true worshipers must worship God in spirit and in truth, but that's not something that you or I make happen. We don't make that happen. This is our Lord declaring his word of promise. This is what he works in his child. He's making known to us that this is a spiritual salvation, a spiritual work of God's grace, of his doing, of his power to the glory and praise of his name. And so this worship of God by the Lord's people, it's a work of God, wherein he manifests his power and his grace in his people. This is the result of that redemptive work of our Savior. This is born out of the blessings which are ours, given to us and received by us in Christ. In Christ. Thanks to what he has done for his people. Oh, I have an announcement. After services, we will have a meal together. Some good news. We will have a meal together. Now, when I said that, you you believe it. You either believe it or you don't believe it. right? You didn't make a decision. You believe that there's going to be a meal. Having said that, now some might say, I don't believe anything that that guy says, and you don't, 
and, and you say, I wouldn't have any, I wouldn't take anything from him. I don't believe anything he says is probably garbage food. I'm leaving right after services. But you who hear that good news are excited. You believe it. You receive it. There is no decision. It's the power of God in the same way in the preaching of the gospel. It's the power of our God who declares this good news to you of what Christ has done. And you that are his people, you hear it and you believe it. (laughs) You didn't make any decision. You just believe that good word. And that's what the Lord is saying to his people. He manifests this salvation in the hearts of his people. And so where this worship of God exists among the people, they're going to bear the fruit of the Spirit. It's going to be present because you're the Lord's and he dwells in your hearts and he's going to bear these fruits because it's what he does. But it's not by you and me focusing on me bearing fruit. (laughs) That's not how it comes about. It's we look to the Lord and we look to him by faith And he brings forth that fruit. He bears that fruit. Now, I like what Paul says in another place over in 1 Corinthians 13. You can go there. 1 Corinthians 13, at the end of that chapter, verse 12 and 13. He speaks of some of these fruits of the Spirit, and he connects them to our knowledge of God. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, he says, Now we see through a glass darkly. We see through a glass darkly. We know some things about the Lord, but it, in reality, it's a dim view. Michelle and I have discovered this battlefield park that's right by Battlefield, and, and there was a Civil War battle that had taken place back in the 18. 18- Hundreds, I think 1861, and there's a house there. It's called the Ray House. I guess that's their last name. The family is the, Ray, the Rays. And that house is still standing there. And when we went, the doors were locked. We couldn't get in. It was a day when they weren't doing their living history, but we could look in the windows. And we peered in various windows of that house, and we could see certain things. In one room, there was a, it looked like a bedroom, and we could see some beds. In the other room over here, we looked in, and you could see what looked like a kitchen area. There was a table in there, and there was a fireplace beyond that, that table. A nice big fireplace, and another room was even behind that, that window that we were looking in. And I don't remember exactly, but I think I saw what might have been some plates on that table. And when I went around to the other side, I could see the other side of that chimney, and it had another uh, fireplace, and it warmed up that whole, both those rooms. But I couldn't make out all the details. I saw some things, but I didn't see everything perfectly. I have a knowledge of what's in there. I can tell you there's probably some plates on that table, but I don't know. I don't really know. I saw it darkly. I saw it dimly, and that's what we have. We have knowledge of the Lord. We have knowledge of the true and living God. But it is a knowledge that is dark. It's hidden to some degree from our view and understanding. And he says, that's how we know the Lord right now. But one day we're going to see him face to face. One day those doors are going to be open. And Michelle and I are going to go into that house. And we're going to see everything in great detail. 
with plenty of light, nothing obscured, no corners hidden from our view, we'll see it all exactly as it is in that house with clarity. That's how it is with us and the Lord. One day, we're going to see him face to face. And you're going to know everything as even, even as you are known. And you're going to see the glory of your Lord. Faith shall become sight. And you won't hope anymore because you'll have what you hope for now, today. And love will, will continue. And he says, and now abideth faith, hope, love, or charity, or love. These three fruits, but the greatest of these is charity. And so we have this imperfect knowledge. When we're dealing with our brethren, and we're, we're, we're you know, living with our brethren, always remember love. Love. Why? Because love beareth all things. Love beareth all things. Love believeth all things. Love hopeth all things. Love endureth all things. Charity or love never fails. Right? Even when, when I put uh, an article in the bulletin that doesn't seem to make sense, love bears those things and says, you know what? Let me, let me not assume what this is about. Let me find out. Let me, let me wait and ask. My brother, and so we, we have a better understanding in time, and so the love of the spirit that's that fertile field in which these other fruits are are born of the spirit love is is overarching all these other fruits that we bear it's it's what why we want to have peace with our brethren it's how we bear long with our brethren and our long suffering with them. It's where our gentleness and, and goodness toward our brethren is, is found because we love. We love them. And the Spirit's in us, and the Spirit brings forth these precious fruits of His grace. And so take that love now, and let's bring these fruits, that understanding of these fruits, and let's bring them to bear on these verses here in Galatians 6, verses 1 through 5. He says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault. What's a fault? It's speaking of our sin and the foolish things that, that we do, but especially sin, whether that sin is in thought, word, or deed, whether that sin is an immoral sin or it's a spiritual sin, someone has erred according to the truth. Maybe you have a bad attitude. Maybe you have a bad attitude about something and, and you're just bitter about some providence or something that's going on and you have a bad attitude toward the Lord or toward another person. You're just upset about things. It could be anything like that. We're overtaken in a fault. And if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual. What does that mean, ye which are spiritual? Well, it's taken in context. Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You which are spiritual, you have an understanding of what we are, what you yourself are in this flesh. We know what we are in this flesh. We know our infirmities. We know our weaknesses. We understand our, our coming up short. And ourselves, we're all sinners by nature. 
the, the reality is there's no sin that's done in the earth that we ourselves are not capable of doing. We, we may not like to think that we are capable of such things, but the reality is every one of us is capable of any sin. We're only kept by the grace of God and delivered from things by the grace of God. And so in this flesh, we're capable of anything. And that every child of God, not that this is an excuse, but we've, we've all fell. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short and see our faults. We're all made to know, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm not a child of God because I'm good because I know what I'm doing, and because I'm perfect and holy and without fault, not at all. In spite of what I am, the grace of God has delivered me from death and darkness, from loving and going in the course of this world, and, and, and following after that, that which is not profitable, but is sinful and destructive. And so we see and know how the grace of God has restored us, and kept us, and and delivered us from from death and, and destruction, and he's done it through his word, through the preaching of his word. He's done it through the teaching of the Lord. He says in, in another place, the goodness of God leadeth thee to destruction, uh, to repentance. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And that word goodness there in Romans two four is the same fruit of the spirit in Genesis or Galatians 5:22 that's translated gentleness it's God's gentleness that leads you to repentance in other words turning us from trusting our goodness and trusting our righteousness and dead things that cannot save and he makes us to see that it's not what I do that saves me but what the Lord has done for me through the Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior, my God, who as the Lamb of God sacrificed himself unto the Father to shed his blood, to make an atonement, a covering for me, (laughs) to cover my nakedness, to give his life that I should live before God in perfect holiness and righteousness, accepted of the Father by the grace of God in Christ. And so the Lord is gentle, to us, not giving us what we deserved, what we've earned by our debts, but rather giving us mercy and grace for Christ's sake. And so, you know, I think the temptation is that when we see a fault, it's it's we come at it typically of I know. I know what needs to be done there. I know how to fix that. And there's a temptation in the flesh that wants to fix it or deal with it based on knowledge. That's sin. That's unacceptable. Let's fix it. Let's, let's root that out and deal with that. And so it's being handled with knowledge and not handled in, in the fruit of the Spirit by faith. I mean, sometimes clarity and light needs to be brought to a thing to make something known to somebody if they don't see their fault or understand that why, why it's a fault. But always remember gentleness and goodness. Always remember goodness. What that means is, what's the end result that, that we're looking for? Is it to 
thrust someone out, <laughs> to, to shame them, to, to expose their sins so that they're thrust out and ashamed to ever show their face here again? Or is it the, the end result restoration? The end result, when thou art converted, Peter, feed my sheep. Right? When, when you're turned, when the Lord shows you personally, and I'm talking to me personally, when he shows us what we are, and, and he turns our heart from death and wickedness and from foolishness, it's, it's for our good. The purpose is for good. It's not just to make our sin known and to shame us, but it's with the purpose of restoring us and, and, and setting our feet in Christ again, standing in him and in his righteousness and his salvation. And so we show, we show that goodness, that, that, that fruit of goodness, because we want what is edifying and profitable for our brethren and the body as a whole. And the Lord gives us that. As we read in 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 and 25, Paul said, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. And he says, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. And turning away from dead things to hear and to believe Christ. Therefore, Paul says back here in Galatians 6, uh, verse 1, Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Right? We're all susceptible to any, any sin, any fault that we see in our brethren. We can do the same thing, if God permit it. I remember many years ago I read, I was reading something from John Gadsby. No, William Gadsby. The elder one. William Gatsby, I think he was alive in like the mid-1700s to early 1800s. And he said when he was a young believer, he had stopped into a tavern after work. I guess they typically did it. It's what it sounded like to me. That's just where, like, like you going into fast food place to get a soda or something like that. But they would drink a lager or something, a beer. And he saw a member of the church coming out. And they were clearly drunk in his estimation. They were drunk, and he judged them, and he despised them for, for that. And he was not, not pleased at all with, with them as they were. He was just another working man himself at the time, and, and he judged them. And so the next week he wrote that, the very next week he said, I went in, I had one beer, one beer only, and I was drunk from that one beer. I don't know if he didn't eat anything. I don't know if I don't know what kind of regulations they had when they manufactured their their beer, but you know, sometimes maybe it had the higher alcohol content. Whatever it was, the Lord purposed it and he was drunk. And he saw just like that. I just committed the exact same sin that I condemned my brother for. And he was ashamed. And he was ashamed. And and we all have experiences that we can think of where we accuse somebody of something, and then we, before we knew it, we were doing the exact same thing. And so that's what Paul's saying there. Lest thou also be tempted, who of us can keep ourselves in our own heart? We need the grace of God always. Now Paul says in verse 2, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear ye one another's burdens. In other words, not every 
thing, everything that we think is a fault with our brethren is a fixable or correctable thing. <laughs> just because somebody that, something that somebody does rubs us the wrong way or we just don't like. I don't like the way they laugh. They laugh too loud. I'm going to fix that. Oh, are you? you know, that's going to cause division. That's going to cause a problem because they're going to know, they're going to recognize right away you're insincere. You just don't like them. You know, and it's going to provoke and cause that, that, that strain. How are you going to fix someone's laugh? That's what they've been doing since they were a little kid. But what the Lord's teaching us is we bear with one another. Not everything has to be fixed the way we think it has to be fixed or corrected because we don't like it. Not everything is a, is a correctable offense or fault. We bear with one another's burdens. We do stumble. We, we do have faults and, 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 and issues and quirks and personalities and things that at, from time to time can clash with one another. But in Christ, we look to him. We, we look to him. And that's how we're long-suffering and patient and, and bearing long with one another because we love Christ. We love Christ, and we love our brethren in Christ. And so we want peace, and we, we're under the law of Christ, right? Not the law of Moses. We're under the law of Christ, who, tell, who commands us to love one another, to love one another. He said in John thirteen thirty four, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. Do you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another? When I think of just how long-suffering the Lord is with me, and how he bears with me and my, my folly, my foolishness, how slow I am to hear the, the word of the Lord, how slow I am to believe the Lord, how unbelieving I am of the Lord, and, and, and think of how patient he is with me, how many years He's born with me and my faults and my unbelief. Can I show that same long-suffering with my brethren? I can if I'm looking to Christ and looking to him and believing him. Then, I can, then, then I'll bear long and love my brethren and forgive them even as, Christ, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven me and how patient he is with me. So we're under the law of Christ. We're not under the law of Moses, the law, under the law of love, the law of faith, believing our Lord, trusting him to do all things. And so when we apply to any other law, and we're looking to any other law to deal with our brethren, we cease to look to Christ. We're not walking by faith anymore. Now we're walking by the flesh. And wherever there's flesh, there's divisions, and there's anger, and there's wrath, and and envy, and, and all kinds of Ugly fruits. In fact, go back to Galatians 5, verse 26. Look at verse 26 there. Last verse. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. All right? So what he's saying there is that when we compare ourselves to other men and other behaviors, we might look at them and say, man, do you see what they did? Did you see what they said? I can't believe that. I would never do that. That's terrible. And we think pretty good about ourselves because we would never do that. But they could also look at you and say, did you 
see what they did <laughs> and what they said and how they're behaving, I would never do that. And you find out we all stink. We're all dirty sinners. We're all filthy. We all have our, our shortcomings and our issues. So the flesh loves to compare itself to others in order to justify ourselves and feel good about ourselves. I'm not like that man in the gutter who's doing drugs and, and, and just wasting his life. Well, maybe you're not doing that, but you're just as vile and just as guilty of, of eternal death and condemnation. So in Galatia at this time, there were Judaizers that were telling men how to live, how to fix things, how, to, how they're supposed to, to live. And it started with circumcision, and it brought them under the law of Moses, and they did it so that they could glory in the flesh. They were looking to, to glory. They thought they were something and had some angle on, on righteousness and acceptance with, with God. And as our brother, I believe you coined that phrase, they became fruit inspectors. They became fruit inspectors. And, and that's where we go and examine what our brothers and sisters are doing and whether it's up to par, you know, or whether it's past the, the ripe date and it's getting smelly now, right? We, we become fruit inspectors of one another, and that's a great way to bring in, to, to bring in division and, and to, to hurt one another. And so Paul isn't doing that at all. He's declaring Christ. He's declaring Christ gives his spirit. And he bears these fruits of righteousness. Look to Christ. Look at him. Don't be looking at your brethren. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't be looking for yourself to bear fruits because you won't look to Christ. He bears the fruits in you. It's by his spirit. He brings forth this love and patience and kindness because you keep looking at it. Think, you know, sometimes when we do things over and over again, all of a sudden you pick up someone's clicking a pen. And, and you pick up on that, and it gets real annoying, real fast. And then, then you, all you can hear is that pen clicking. And you're just thinking, oh, why, why are they doing that? And they won't stop doing it. And then that's all you can think of. You sat with it for 30 minutes. It didn't bother you until you finally heard it. And the thing is, when you're looking at your brethren, you're going to hear the pen clicking. <laughs> when you're looking to Christ, that pen can click, and, and, and by God's grace, you don't hear it. You understand what I'm saying. It's just an illustration. Like there's just, when we're looking for trouble, you're going to find it. When you're looking to Christ and you're just trusting him. Like not praying, Lord, help me to be more patient because you're going to be tried for patience. <laughs> if you want to be more patient, you will you'll be tried for, and that till you learn patience. So you realize, Lord, I need grace. I don't need patience. I need grace. <laughs> Save me, Lord, because I'm in a bad place. And the Lord does it. I mean, He knows providentially exactly what, where to bring us, and and how to how to teach us. So restore those gently who have fallen in sin, looking to Christ, knowing, Lord, this could be me, and and not everything is to be fixed. Some things are just to be born and bear long with with your brethren, because they're the Lord's. And the Lord loves them. And when you, when, when you remember, the Lord loves them. Lord, I want to love them. I want to love them too. I don't want to fix things. I want to love my brethren in Christ. And so the Lord does that for his people. I pray he does that in my heart always for you, brethren, and that it's mutual for us all. Verse 3, Galatians 6, 3. 
For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. That's a description of a conceited man. That's conceit. And that's what verse 26 was saying. That word vainglory, desirous of vainglory, that word is conceit. And, and that description there is, a, is of us in conceit. That's what we are in, in conceit. That, that's when we think highly of ourselves. And a conceited person will remove a fault. They'll remove the person. They'll throw everything out just to be right, just to do what their knowledge tells them is the right thing to do, forgetting the grace of God that, that knows what I'm worthy of, knows the hell I, I deserve, but for Christ's sake hath forgiven me, who loved me and gave himself for me. <laughs> I was, I mean, put yourself in Adam and Eve's shoes and what they did in rebellion against God and tried to cover their own nakedness and, and, and were fearful of God and mistrusting of him. That's exactly our nature. That's what we are in nature, and God slew those animals before their very eyes, shedding the blood and showing them those animals gave their life for your covering. And that's exactly what we have in Christ. That's exactly what the Lord is showing us in salvation, that he sent his son, and he laid down his life, shedding his blood, dying the death I deserved, that I would live being clothed my nakedness being clothed with his righteousness. That's, that's exactly the picture that, that we're given, and that's exactly what we see. And no, I only live because of Christ. <laughs> I have my only standing before holy God is Christ alone. And that's the same thing for, for my brethren. So in meekness, we instruct those that oppose themselves. Or it, we consider ourselves we consider what what we are and so if you seek to make an example out of someone if you seek to put them up and and expose their sin you're going to just provoke the flesh and and you're going to miss that that mark entirely so meekness considers myself to be the sinner and and my need of grace so our lord said in matthew 7 verse 2 and 3 For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? You're looking at that little splinter or that little eyelash. let Let me take that out of your eye for you. And you don't realize every time you turn around, you're smacking everybody in the head with a two by four coming out of your own eye. And that's what we are. And it becomes very obvious when you really start picking on somebody. And, and trying to help them, and it makes your that beam coming out of your own eye all the, the greater. And so he says, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye. And that's what Paul's saying, consider. <laughs> Considering yourselves, what we are in the flesh, be very gentle and kind and understanding and patient in the Lord. And so now this leads nicely to the last two verses, verse 4 and 5. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for every man shall bear his own burden. So based on the context here, what he's saying here, because it's a little hard in in the English translation here, 
He's just saying, don't compare yourselves to others and glory in your flesh. Just because they're falling, men, the religionist, the legalist, looks at them and, and steps on them and says, look how great I am in comparison to them. I don't do that. You know, they need to fix that or get out. But when we consider what we are, then, then, and we, we look at our own need of grace in Christ, then, then we're, we're bearing our own burden, which means we're not trusting in our goodness. We're trusting in Christ alone. He's all my righteousness. He's all my salvation. Because to compare ourselves to another and say, well, I, I think I'm better than them, that's not justification. That's not redemption. That has nothing to do with our salvation. That's just folly. That's just fooling ourselves to thinking that we're something when we're nothing. And so the only work in us that matters is the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we look to him and we want to stand in him and live in him and grow in him and love in him and love our brethren in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we know things, we condemn others. But when we know Christ, then he's all our righteousness. We know our brethren, and we love them, <laughs> and we understand where they're coming from, because we, we that are spiritual know what we are, because we, we have the same issues and the same problems, maybe a different color, a different smell or something, but it's all the same rotten flesh when, when you boil it down. So we look to Christ for all our hope and all our salvation, that's how we bear our own burden. Lord, you know what I am. <laughs> and this, this flesh is always going to be this flesh while I'm here. I'm a sinner. I don't love it. I don't want to stir it up and, and live in the flesh. But it is a reality that I have to bear and, and, and understand. I'm bearing that burden. But thanks be to God, you've shown me Christ and set my eyes upon him who is my righteousness. And the reality is he's bearing my burden. He bore it. He bore it on the tree and put it away forever. And one day soon, though I don't see what I would see in my, in my flesh, one day he's going to return and I'm going to be made like unto him. And you're going to be made like unto him for you shall see him as he is. And he's going to take care of the whole thing. He's already taken care of it. He's already made provision. It's already yours, brethren. It's already yours in Christ. I pray the Lord bless that word to your hearts every, every day, keeping you in Christ. Amen. Amen.